0: Um, hey, how are we? Thanks. That's my. Uh, that's as good as a slideshow gets, everyone. So if you've got high expectations, <laughs> lower them to the floor. Um, it's also really nice to actually see everyone for the first time in six months without just like a a, a filter of white moisture over my face, um, which is of course wearing a mask with glasses. Um, but those who know, know it, it, it's, it's good to be here. It's been a while since I've been up and it's nice. I've been busy. I got married, which is really fantastic. I think since the last time, Woo-hoo-hoo. um, Carla's over there, if you didn't know, <laughs> um, someone just that the, they're like just pointing at Carla, um, but it's really lovely to sort of be up and be home and be with family. Um, and I think that's what I really love about Cornerstone is it does feel a lot like family. Um, If you've ever wandered from church to church, like a vagrant or something like that, you know how good it actually feels when you actually find somewhere that's home. Um, Well, what I want to talk about this morning is probably something a little bit different. Um, I'm going to be the guy who puts up statistics on his first slide, and I never thought I'd be this person, but I'm going to do it, because what I want to actually talk about is there is a bit of a a phenomenon and something that's being discussed at the moment within kind of Uh, the media within Christian circles is the decline of Christianity in Australia. Um, There's lots of books, I'm getting straight into it, I hope that's okay, you didn't get whiplash there, but I've got 33 slides and someone very nicely texted me this morning to let me know that I have 40 seconds per slide. So let's get a roll on, I'm already two behind. Uh, So that wasn't a joke either, there is 33 slides. Um, (laughs) So I think this thing going on in Christianity the is that we're experiencing what a lot of people are calling the decline of Christianity, right? Um, now, what do I mean by this? Now, I'm not saying that uh, Christianity is going to hell in a basket or something like that. That's not what we're talking about. I, but I, we're talking about statistics like this. Um, we've seen in the, this is just straight off the Australian Bureau of Statistics. Again, I never thought I'd go to that website either but I did um and it has kind of this from 1966 to 1991 to 2016 how the percentages of people who call themselves religious in Australia have changed over the last few years um and we can see, right, it, it was 88.2% in uh, 1966, which uh, may, I'm assuming there's peop, a lot of people here this morning who probably did, the, uh, did the, the survey in those years. 1991, it's down to 74%, and 2016, it's down to 52.1%. So we can kind of look around and go, well, uh, no matter what we think, uh, Christianity seems like it's not as popular as it once was, right? It it, it doesn't seem like it's as as popular as it once was. Um, So I think really what's going on here is if Christianity is kind of changing, if Christianity is becoming less popular, uh, what does that mean for us? Because I think most most of us look at this and we actually get a little bit nervous, don't we? We we ask questions like, well, what are my kids going to experience in Australia when they grow up? What's it going to feel like to be a Christian when they get older? What's it going to be like? Is it is it going to be accepted? Is it going to be good? Is it going to be bad? Are they going to be stoned or like what, what's going? To, I think and I think we do actually get a little bit fearful. And I, I actually want to say like that's okay. Like I think that's a normal thing. I think most of us see statistics like this and it kind of does freak us out. And we kind of like this is the the question that Australia is asking Christian to be or not to be. That's the question, right? What, what what's that's Hamlet if you didn't know. Um, so, what's going on here? What, what is Christianity experiencing? What is the next generation going to experience when they profess their faith? Is it going to be accepted? Is it not? So, the question then becomes, how do you and I be Christian when not everyone else is? How do we be Christian when maybe Christianity isn't as popular as it once was? How do you and I be Christian when maybe Christianity isn't like the, the great power of Australia? And, like, there's been lots of books written about this, right? Uh, like, a few, like, th- there's books like Post-Christian Nation, and, like, there's just a, 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 litter, a litter of books that we've all kind of read or maybe have seen on bookshelves about this whole phenomena going on. So, how do we be Christian when not everyone is? So, what I actually want to do this morning is I want to kind of answer this question, not by uh, guessing about what we're going to look like in the future, but rather actually asking the question of, has there been a time in Christian history when something like this has happened? Has there been a time in Christian history when maybe Christianity was the power, was the, the, the majority, but then became the minority? And that's the thing we're going to do this morning, is we're going to go back in history and see what has happened and what can we learn from apparently has happened in the past. So, just to paint the picture of where we're about to jump in into the history of the Christian church, we've all read the Gospels, we all know what happens there, right? Jesus comes to earth, God incarnate, does some pretty amazing things, dies, buried, resurrected. The Acts like it's kind of describing this movement, this Christian movement that's exploding all over uh, the Middle East and all over through Turkey and all these kinds of modern-day Turkey and these sorts of places. The epistles is Paul and other writers writing letters to these church, this explosion of a group in the ancient world, in the first century world, asking and and describing to them what this faith looks like. We have the book of Revelation, which is kind of the main topic of what we're speaking about at the moment, uh, which provides these people hope, these people who are... Experiencing immense kind of turmoil, immense, they're, they're not really well loved, are they? They're not really well accepted. They're, they're getting burned and like fighting with lions in big arenas. Like, this is a real thing, it's not just a movie. Um, so, what we find is kind of after the book of Revelation, we find that the heroes of our faith are actually outlaws, they're criminals. They're, like The book of Revelation is written by a prisoner. <laughs> and I, I think sometimes we kind of forget about this a little bit, right? John is in prison on the island of Patmos. So the heroes of our faith during that time, within the first hundred years, turned out to be Criminals, crooks, bandits, like, well, not bandits, but, you, you, like, they're they, they, probably, hopefully, Paul on the side, he says he's a tent maker, but he's robbing people on the road or something like that. No, that's, that's not what happened with the road to, um, no, yeah, let's move on, move on, move on, Chris. Okay. Yeah, I just, yeah, 40 seconds first slide. So, the heroes of our faith were actually those who were hated by normal society. They were those who were the outcasts, the crooks, the criminals, These were, and still are, the heroes of our faith. Because remember, like, the epitome of our faith was crucified as a criminal, right? And I think this is something that's quite profound, is the order of the day did not see Christianity as anything special or powerful. It rather saw Christianity and wanted to humiliate it wanted to get rid of it, wanted to hang it on a cross, but we grew. (laughs) We actually didn't just grow, we exploded, right? Uh, I'm sure there was like a national church survey on it or something like that. It was going really well, right? Um, Christianity Today probably had a poll of the fastest growing churches in the ancient world. Like, Like this thing grew and it grew really fast. It grew. They were outlaws. They were not bandits, but crooks. But we grew. And I don't know about you, but I, I find this quite surprising. Um, it's still a little bit confusing, to be honest. Um, I, I've tried to like, oh, I forgot to start my timer. Sorry, everyone. Sweet. That, that was just the introduction. Now we get started with the message. Thank God. That's how you solve that one, isn't it? Um. <laughs> oh, you wait. Uh, no, no, <laughs> um, I, I, I like to think like, is it just like that, col- that whole culture of like when your parents tell you to do something, you really want to do it even more? Or it's like, is that why we grew? Or well, maybe there was something else going on. Maybe there was something supernatural. Maybe this message actually has some gravitas. Maybe it's not just lip service, but maybe it's actually life-changing. Now, I'm not saying to you all, let's leave this building and become criminals or crooks. That's not at all what I'm trying to get across here. But I want us to realize of where Christianity has come from. Now, a few, uh, 150 years later, uh, we find this guy named Emperor Constantine. Now, who Constantine was, and you've probably heard about him in church history, he was the man who kind of made the edict that Christianity was the state religion. It was the religion of Rome. Now, Emperor Constantine was a really interesting guy, but just before he became emperor, actually, he was fighting over the throne. He was fighting over the throne with this guy, with this other Roman official named Maxentius, and what they did is they met at the Milvian Bridge. This happened in 312 AD. Now, at the Milvian Bridge, Maxentius and Constantine decided this, we are going to this is going to be the battle to settle this. Whoever wins, they are going to be the Emperor of Rome. This is this is the deciding battle. It's like, it's like the Lord of the Rings, the Two Towers, or something, right? Like it's 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 all going on. They're at this bridge. They're there, and the night before Max, uh, the night before Emperor Constantine, Constantine has this vision. He he actually and. there's there's lots of different historians who record this. He has this amazing vision where he hears the voice of Jesus Christ say this, by this symbol, you will conquer. And in his dream, he actually saw his armies overthrowing Maxantius' armies. By this symbol, you will conquer. So, what was the symbol? Constantine, hearing the voice of God one night before he goes into battle, hearing the, the voice of God say to him, by this symbol, you will conquer Is it was this one. Now, maybe you've seen this before, but this symbol is called the chi and the Rho. So, in Greek, these are the first two Greek letters for Jesus Christ, the chi and the Rho. By this symbol, you will Will conquer. So, what did Constantine do? The next morning, he wakes up, he looks to his troops, he tells his army, Hey, we're going to paint this symbol on the outside of our shields. And so, the armies of Constantine, painting the symbol of Christ on their shields, went out to battle the next day and they conquered. They defeated the enemies of Maxentius. They decimated them, right? They destroyed. They destroyed. The army of Maxentius with the symbol of Christ painted on their shield. Now, this is an amazing story. This is a story of something so powerful. And I know what you're also th- thinking, right? It's like rain on your wedding day, it's a free ride when you've already paid. It's the good advice that you just didn't take, and who would have thought it figures? I, I asked about four, I did a survey of the church uh, leadership before I put this in my slideshow to ask who would know this great song by, of course, Alanis Morissette, which is called Isn't It Ironic? Because I think this is actually what's going on here. Is we, as, we, are, we are met with this absolute ironic moment when two, three hundred years earlier, well, actually, let, let's say it this way when the emperor of the most powerful nation on earth at that time, who 300 years earlier crucified this person in an act of humility, paints that person's symbol on their shields before they go and kill more people. (laughs) It's like rain (laughs) on your wedding day. more. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no, we don't have time for more. I think everyone else is like, less, less. (laughs) Right? Constantine, in an act of exertion of power, paints on his shield the person that his empire humiliated 300 years ago. What? What? Isn't it ironic? And this is the moment of absolute irony, I think, in Christian history. And we've probably all experienced moments like this, right? We've talked about how horrible global corporations are, while we drink like our coffee from Starbucks or something. Like, we all act and enact in an irony. And this is what's going on in this moment, is an army is using a sign of peace, of humility, of love, of humiliation, to go in and exert force and power over... So- the, the big people are using the sign of the little, little people to beat up on the little people. So we have to ask this question, what on earth did this symbol mean to Constantine? and his army. What, what did this symbol mean to them? We have to ask the question well, also, what did this symbol mean to everyone else? Because I think history often, we, we often look back on history and go, well, what did this symbol mean to Constantine? It meant the hope of Jesus Christ, it meant that he was now a Christian and he's going forward with the Christian message, when really the bigger question is, well, what on earth did that symbol mean to every other person who wasn't just holding the shields, but rather those who were looking at the shields? because I'm sure that symbol, did I put it there? That symbol did not in that moment represent humility and love and hope for the hopeless, rather it represented fear, it represented incoming doom and destruction. To Constantine, this symbol represented a way to conquer, and to everyone else, it represented a bully. Can we see maybe how one symbol can have two totally different pieces of meaning to different people? And this is the problem, perhaps, when the Romans fell so in love with the image of Jesus, of Jesus Christ, the symbol of Christ, that they forgot actually what the image represented. They fell so in love with the chi and the rod, and they painted on their shields, they saw it as the exertion of power, that God was with them, that they forgot what the image actually represented. Those dirty Romans, right? We'd never do that. And it stings a little bit, doesn't it? I wonder if there are times in our lives today where we're doing things with the symbol that Chi and the Rho painted on our shields, when we're actually forgetting what the symbol represents. Paul, and I'll get there in a bit. Paul, he uh, Paul writing to the church in Rome. Paul's never visited this church, right? He's writing to the church in Rome. He's telling them about what does it mean to be Christian. He writes to uh, to the Jewish, and then he writes to the Gentile, and that, that's what we see in Romans three twenty three, where it says that really beautiful statement, like all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He's doing this big evening, but when he talks to the Jewish people when he talks to the people who have been uh, a part of the faith for many years this is what he says and i think it's really profound and i think it's the message to us who have maybe been a part of this faith for a long for a lot of years he says this no wonder the scriptures say the gentiles blaspheme the name of god because of you and that hurts i've been doing this thing for a long time and i like i i think i've said this like many times like i'm I'm the Pentecostal of Pentecostals. I was saved at a Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flame play when I was six. <laughs> Everyone was. <laughs> we our, our church followed that up with the Left Behind movies at night for the next month, right? I know, I know. I've been doing this thing for a while now. And that hurts. Oftentimes I ask questions like, oh man. Why why do people think God's so bad? Why do people have this really bad view of God? It's because of me, right? It's because of us. It's because of how we have been maybe painting the symbols of Christ on our shield, but forgetting what the symbol of Christ actually represents. We have to remember there are other people on the other sides of our shields. I think what's happening with the great decline of Christianity, or however we want to put it, is I think a lot of us have actually picked up the shields believing we have to be like the great defenders of our faith. And I think there's some truth to that. I think that, yeah, we are supposed to defend our faith and represent our faith, but we can't do it in a way that we're picking up our shields and trying to dominate the enemy or something like that. It isn't a push forward to conquer, but rather it's actually something different. So, what happened? Let's get back to this history story uh, that really happened. (laughs) So, Rome, it grew under Constantine, right? Rome actually exploded under Constantine. Constantine moved uh, the capital of Rome to uh, Constantinople. He tried to like change up the empire. He he he. It's sort of like it actually got good again. That's what. <laughs> uh, so Rome grew under Constantine, and subsequently, because Christianity had now been declared the state religion, Christianity had now been declared the faith of all who were Roman. Christianity grew under Constantine, right? Rome grew. Christianity grew. Christianity exploded. Uh, One historian says uh, that there was this time where like droves of people were just coming into the city gates to get baptised. Christianity exploded under Constantine. But the truth of it is, is empires fall. Is Rome didn't stay in power forever. So then what happened? And this is actually where I want to maybe give us some encouragement from history. What happened? What happened when Rome was no longer the power, when Christianity's ruling emperor was no longer in charge? What happened? Did Christianity fail? Did it wither out and die because the empire fall? Or maybe something else? So, in 455 AD, the Vandals invade Rome, and they just go on a route, right? Like, they tear up the city, they, they cra- kill everyone, like they kill everyone, <laughs> they kill everyone. Uh, classic, r- classic. So, the Vandals come in, they destroy, they decimate Rome. It's, is this the end of Rome, and is this the end of Christianity? Because this is a the question. They're, they're, now, they're, they're now inextricably linked. What one historian says about this moment, I've actually put the whole quote up there, because I want to read it to us, is that he says this. He says, Meanwhile, when the Vandals had invaded, there were new challenges to be met, Many of the invaders were pagan, and therefore the conquered felt the need to teach their faith to their victors. Slowly, through the unrecorded witness of thousands of Christians, the invaders accepted the Christian faith, and eventually from their stock came new generations of leaders of the church. Rome's no longer in charge this should be the downfall of Christianity. But the truth of it is, is there was the unrecorded witness of thousands. The normal, everyday people, rubbing shoulders with whoever was in charge, and what happened? Christianity grew again. That eventually, those who refused to profess the name of Jesus Christ, those who actually came in and said that this wasn't what it was about, ended up becoming the next leaders of the church. I don't know, if this doesn't give you hope, I don't know what will. It doesn't matter who's in charge. It doesn't matter if our government reflects our Christian values. It actually does not matter. What matters is that you and I are part of another kingdom, right? The kingdom of God. And it sounds so cheesy and so cliche, but I actually think it's pertinent to the situation we find ourselves in. That maybe we need to just get on remembering what the image of Christ looks like. Because our expression of power, it's not when we pick up our shields, right? the expression of power of the Christians then. They didn't pick up their shields and try fight the vandals. Let's, let's assassinate all the leaders or something like that. That's not what they were doing. What did they do? They remembered this. Because the greatest exertion of power known in human history was not picking up the shields with the chi with the roe painted on it, but rather it was when a man who was God hung on a cross... Luther says that this is the moment in human history where we glimpsed God, where God didn't belong. Another author says this, that when the cross of Golgotha was driven into the ground, God's love for us was concretized in the real act of participating in suffering and the crucifixion. This is the power of God. This is the power of Christianity. It's not picking up our shields, it's opening our arms. The unrecorded witness of thousands. Doesn't matter who was in charge. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Paul remembers this. 1 Corinthians 1.18 to 31, i have just summarized it here. It says, the cross is foolish to some, but in truth, it is the power of God. doesn't make sense, it's foolish but it is the power of God. Mark 10 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served but to give His life as a ransom for many. The message of the Christian Scriptures reminds us constantly that our power is not found in picking up our shields and exerting strength but rather in in serving and in the unrecorded witness of everyday Christians in whatever situation they find themselves in. Normal Christians. Not the special ones. Not the ones with like halos around their heads. Just normal, everyday believers. I love what the the message translation, I don't have this in there, sorry, but the message translation of Romans 12, what does it say? It says, give your everyday life. You're standing, you're sitting, you're walking as a living sacrifice to God. Normal Christians. That's what we need. (laughs) Normal, everyday Christians who are willing to remember the image of Christ, not just painted on their shields. Because this is the great hope we have. Charlie sung about it. Josh has been speaking about it. Graham speaks about it. Revelation 7-9 says this, And after this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, for every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne before the Lamb of God. Right? Revelation, in its ultimate form, provides us with hope. A hope to remember that this thing works out. (laughs) Right? Paul's writing... uh, John, sorry, on the island of Patmos, is writing to a group of people with no hope. (laughs) Their friends are getting burnt alive at Nero's dinner parties, right? (laughs) And he says, oh yeah, yeah, but it's okay because everything works out all right in the end. I love that as a church, we're doing the big reveal, reminding ourselves of maybe what's in store and who sits on the throne. And again, is it a soldier? Is it something? No, it's the lamb, right? <laughs> like We can see this time and time again, the Christian message. It's good news. It's actually good news. No wonder why it's lasted for so long. There's actually something about this. And it's going to last after us as well. <laughs> So, if you wanted a little bit of hope this morning, if you wanted to walk out of here a little bit lighter, uh, just know the the dependence of Christianity is not on you. It's not on your shoulders. It's on God's. But what can you do? Well, you can be a normal Christian (laughs) who wakes up tomorrow and who through most likely, an unrecorded witness shows people what the image of Christ looks like. Maybe this tomorrow morning, we should get up, we should put down our shields and we should open up our arms, (laughs) drop the armour, and living our life as the sacrifice, remembering what the image looks like. Can I get the band up? Because this is it, right? This is it. This is the hope we have. This is the image that we imitate. And it's, and can I say, that's harder. That's the high road. That's harder than painting things on our shields, and going off to battle. It's actually harder, but it's the way that we've been shown. And you know what? There's times where I wish we weren't shown that, right? There's times when I don't feel like living the crucified life, but I know every day it's the choice that I must make. Because it's foolish to some, but it's wisdom. It's the power of God. Um, as you came in this morning, you would, have got, you would have been given a communion cup. How about you grab it out now, rip it open, you know what to do. Uh, if anyone here doesn't have one, please just throw up your hand and we've got a bucket. Someone will throw it at your head or something. as the great unravelling has happened. What is communion about, right? It's about remembering what Christ has done. In Corinthians, Paul talks about communion being the thing that unifies us. And I wonder, if there was a group of normal everyday Christians who kept the cross at the center, who were a community of the cross, maybe we would have that unity that Paul's talking about in Corinthians. If we were willing to drop our shields, to pick up the cups, to pick up the bread and to eat and drink with one another. If we were willing to drop our shields and rather open up our arms and celebrating the life of Christ with those around us. To living a life, one author puts it, the co-cruciformed life. I wonder if we as a community could do that. We would fully be able to accept the invitation of Jesus, the invitation of Christ, the invitation to put down our shields, to open up our arms, the invitation to love one another, the invitation to have peace and hope, the invitation to serve. I wonder what that would look like. So I bless you to know God's on the throne. No matter what else is going on, God's on the throne. How about we pray? Would you stand with me? Lord God, we are thankful that no matter what we may be experiencing, no matter what we may be feeling, no matter how nervous we might be about the, the nation our children are going to grow up in or what this faith's going to look like, God, we remember deep within us that you, are on the throne, that every tribe and tongue, every knee shall bear to you, God. May we be people who remember not just what the image looks like, but rather those who live out this image in everyday life. May we be people of the cross. How about we sing together? Amen.